So Christina is traveling, so I can tell this story because she's not here to hear it. But uh, one day she went to the grocery store, and in my family, I'm normally the one who goes and does the grocery shopping and runs those types of errands. But on this particular day, I had something going on. I don't even remember. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go to the grocery store. And so Christina came into our house with that look on her face. You know what I'm talking about? Mad, frustrated, I don't know, like, don't cross me, I might slap you type of look on her face. She comes in with that face, and she's uh, holding approximately like 400 grocery bags in, in one hand, and she's got a case of pop in the other hand. Pop is, is soda for you Southerners. Um, but she's holding all this stuff, and she opens the door, and of course, here comes our dog, Barton. Right? Now, now, many of you know Barton. He's sweet. He's lovable. He's cuddly. He's absolutely adorable. And for those of you who don't know, Barton is an English bulldog who weighs an adorable 60 pounds, and he's like a foot and a half tall. Right? So, so this bowling ball comes running down the hallway to Christina, running like 20 miles per hour. Like a, he channeled his inner cheetah. And he runs into Christina, holding all these groceries at full force, with all of his love and cuddleness and cuteness behind him. And Christina dropped half of the bags of groceries. And this was before we had to use the reusable bags. So her, her plastic bags that she was holding went flying into the air, cartoon style. And the bags and everything in them crashed to the floor, including a large economy-sized bottle of laundry detergent. <laughs> now, when that detergent hit those hard floors, the lid sprang off, and you can guess it, that honey-like innards of that laundry detergent just kind of glugged out, glugged, glugged, glugged all over the floor, and that mess is spread across the kitchen like a mighty river cutting through the mountains out west. Now, with laundry detergent all over the floor, Barton is in her lap giving her her kisses. She, she looked at me, and she gave me that look again, right? Now, you guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? And that look. She gave it to me again, like, like, I better start doing something. I better start looking busy, or I'm about to get it. And so I ran to the kitchen. I grabbed some paper towels, and I got back to Christina. She had pulled Barton away from the mess and from the laundry detergent, and we both paused because we started to hear a hissing noise. And so we started looking around, and we realized that, that just at the right angle and the right force, that case of pop, one of the cans had come loose, and it had hit the ground, and it sprang a leak, and it was shooting pop just ever so slightly all over that laundry detergent and the rest of the grocery. Right? We've, we've probably all been there, right? And so a sticky mess from the laundry detergent, it was even more sticky, uh, along with everything else because of that one can of pop. Christina grabbed the can, she grabbed the laundry detergent, she threw them in the sink. She looked at me, and with tears streaming down her face, she said, I can't take it anymore. She went into our bedroom, and she just sat on the bed crying. Now, I... I went back to my football game and kicked my feet. No, that would have been stupid, right? All right. 
Now, I cleaned everything up. I went to see her. I heard the whole story. And she listed off problem after problem after problem that happened to her that day after an already long and stressful week and month and, you know, really a beginning of the year, right? Just that day, she left her, her wallet at home, and so she had to go back and get it. And then she, she left her phone in the car, which had the grocery list on it, so she had to go back out and get that. And then she couldn't find everything that she needed for a particular recipe, so she had to go to two different stores, and she just didn't know where everything was because I'm normally the one who does the grocery shopping, like I said, and she just couldn't find everything. And then she goes and pays, and, and she just realizes she didn't bring enough cash, and so she has got to figure that out. And she finally gets home with all of these things in her hands, and she's walking up to the door, and she says, I, I just think I, I made it. I made it, right? The, I, I made it home. The worst is over. I can finally just, just kind of cocoon in my... My, my, on the couch or in my room, like, I made it, she thought. And that's when the bottom fell out. Again, we, we've all been there. Literally, uh, the bottom fell out of those grocery bags for her, but, but we also, figuratively, we've all been there. The bottom fell out of her day. And there she was, my sweet, sweet wife, looking up at me, fully broken, tears streaming down her face with an anxiety attack that had been building for weeks not far behind from everything else going on in her life. And she looked, as I looked at her and I looked in her eyes, I said, Christina, everything happens for a reason. No, that, I didn't say that, right? I didn't say that. That, that would have been dumb for me to say, right? I, I, if I remember correctly, I actually didn't say anything. I just sat with her while she cried. She didn't some deep breathing, and, and she kind of calmed down. But that platitude, this platitude, right, that, that everything happens for a reason. We, we all laugh. You, some of you guys kind of gave a little bit of side-eye to your spouse when I said that because that's just a stupid thing to say in that moment, right? It's like that meme, dumb ways to die, right? Right? Yeah, you guys know, right? You see that on it? Dumb ways to die, right? Christina would have been mad at me if I said that. And so here's the thing, Foundry Church. I know, I know that a lot of us in this room have experienced what my wife was experiencing that day. And maybe even to a greater extent, probably to a greater extent, right? An anxiety attack or just these, this feeling of frustration and angst and anger. Or maybe you're like me and you've experienced periods of deep depression throughout different seasons of your life. And in those moments of deep, deep pain, some well-meaning person comes along and says, well, it could be worse. And it could be. It could be, but that's not what you want to hear in that moment, right? Who's been there, right? I mean, we've all been there, right? Or maybe they say, hey, hey, you got nothing to worry about. Your life is so good. Or here, here's a good one. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And then they sing a super song about it. Right? But, but some of us in here, we've, we've heard that. We've, we've been in moments where we've heard that. We've been in seasons where we've heard that. And we thought, you know what? Well, oh, man. Being honest, this might kill me. Very least, it might set back. might hurt. And I, I think that's where the problem is. 
Laundry detergent. I, I really do, right? Hey, a lot of us in this room, man, we're struggling. I know we're struggling. I mean, deep struggles, soul-crushing struggles. And the only thing that we can think that is out there to help us are these platitudes. Right? There's even more of these. I had fun kind of coming up with these and remembering these different platitudes. Like, time heals all wounds. Again, isn't that a song? Right? I don't know. It's all a journey. God gives his hardest battles to his, his toughest warriors. And what ends up be, uh, happening and beginning in our lives is, is we're fighting these deep battles in our soul with nothing but the promise of an empty cliche. Right? That's, that's the tension. And that's not what life is supposed to be. Right? We talk a lot about here, around here at the Foundry about the abundant life, a life to the full, that Jesus came to give us this adventure. And it's not the easiest of life, but it's a life of purpose and meaning. And those things, we just, we, they're just platitudes. Cliches. There, there's no purpose. There's no meaning there. And so we, we, we end up shouting at the heavens, Why, God? Do I feel this way? Why, God, do I feel this way? Why, God, are those sayings not true in my life? Why, God, do I get anxious just thinking about going to work every Sunday night? I get anxious for Monday morning. Why, God, is my soul so deeply burdened that I, I can't even think straight. Why, God, can I not seem to get out of this slump? Why, God, are things just not coming together? Why, God? And we look at these stupid cliches that are all around and, and, and think there has to be more. There has to be something that is real. Something that we can just grab a hold of. Something that is powerful that helps us in this abundant life. That helps us forge a lifelong reliance on God. And so some well-meaning person points us to a Bible verse and just says, hey, read that over and over again. Things like, I've come that so that you may have peace. Or, or he gives strength to the weary. The Lord saves those who, who are crushed in spirit. But we're not feeling peace. And we're not feeling strength. And reading those verses doesn't seem to be doing anything. So we start to ask ourselves again, why God? What's wrong with me? Why, God? Do I not have enough faith? Am I not a good enough Christian? Why am I the one that is stuck with, stuck with these mental struggles? Why, God, again, do I feel this way? Now, Foundry Church. All right, listen, this is a, a tougher topic for us, right? One of these, these in this series, we're, we're, we're digging into these, these, these things like, like prayer, like last week, and loneliness the week before, and today, mental health and anxiety. And today, I just want to spend some time peeling the onion of these mental health struggles, not, not shy away from them, and not just kind of brush them underneath the carpet. Right? This is the tension that we have to deal with in our world, in our lives, in, in someone in our family's life, in, in each other's lives, as we are the local outpost of the kingdom of God here in Burke. We're we're soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder together in this battle. Right? I want us to answer this cry of so many of our hearts. And today's sermon, we're going to do a little bit different today. I'm going to just have two quick little parts. When I say two parts, little, right? One part. Don't freak out. All right, the first part will peel the onion of the two big lies that mental health struggles try to get us to believe. Lies from the enemy. And the second part, I'll 
give us two practical things that we can do as individuals and as a church, a local outpost of the kingdom of God, to help us take some steps forward toward healing and helping each other. Right? Remember, right? Information without some form of transformation is just stupid. Right? It's a, it's a waste of time. So we gotta we gotta put what we're learning. We gotta put God's word. We gotta put what He says about these topics into play, into action. Right? So sounds good. That's where we that's where we're going. Right? So the first slide, and that we believe that we're struggling with mental health, is that we are the only one who is feeling this way. Right? That's the first slide. I mean, I, we feel that like we're the only one who's going through what we are going through right now. Right? One of the, the hardest parts of mental health is that feeling of isolation. We feel like we're the only ones, and that makes us pull further back, and then we feel lonelier and lonelier, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. But here's the truth. We know this. You're not alone. Right? Two weeks ago in this series of sermons, we, we, we filled out a quick survey about about some of the things that we're experiencing in life, and those are going to be the topics, or partly the topics of, of the next few weeks, right? And one of the questions asked is, is, you struggle with mental health? And the number of us that checked yes to that question, and it was anonymous, it was just not one of us. It was the majority of us right? who, who deal with anxiety or some kind of mental health issue. Right, real quick, here are just some real quick stats about mental health struggles. More than one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. Further, about one in 25 U.S. adults live with a serious mental illness such as schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, or, or a major depression or PTSD. And parents, right, hear this, understand this. The mental health struggles uh, that we have uh, as adults are, are just as prevalent with our kids. Over one in five youth, and youth is determined or defined as 13 to 18, either currently or at some point during their life had a seriously debilitating mental illness. Right, right now, 70% of kids who find themselves in the justice system have been diagnosed with some sort of mental health issue. Mental health struggles are all around us. We just know that. In fact, mental illness is more prevalent, prevalent than cancer, diabetes, or even heart disease. More common. Mental health disorders are now the number one cause of a disability worldwide, surpassing all other illnesses. The number one mental health issue is crippling anxiety. The number two mental health issue is, is depression, but that term includes a bunch of things like personality disorders or PTSD and a whole list of other struggles. So just statistically speaking, you're not the only one who has ever experienced mental health struggles. You're just not. Right? And we proved that, right? When we all stood together a couple weeks ago. Right? But we don't have to stop with the numbers. Right? I, I, take, I take comfort from this. Right? We can look to, to our history, to the, the church history, right? If we take a quick glance back at church history, you'll see that mental health struggles are running rampant. William Cooper, the great poet and hymn writer, suffered from severe bouts of depression all throughout his life. The great Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon 
who some call the prince of preachers, and who I quote a lot during my sermons, suffered from depression over and over and over again in his life. He once said, it happens every year. Right? You can count on it. Even C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, and in countless radio addresses about keeping faith during wartime, he even struggled with mental health. He said this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain. But it's more common and harder to bear. He said the, the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain only increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. And then we can look to the pages of our Bible. Right? In, in the Old Testament, in, in the 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 book of the Bible that many scholars believed was written before any of the other books of the Bible. It's a book about a man named Job who suffered terribly after many personal tragedies, who went through a season of anxiety and depression. In chapter 6, he says this, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the sea. A little dramatic, but listen, Job's misery and anguish was so deep that he thought it was bigger than the sands of the seas. That's how he felt. Have you ever felt that way about something? Or in a season of your life where it's just like, man, hurt, struggle, there's so much. Like the, the sands of the sea. And, and, and there's more. Elijah, one of my favorites in Scripture, suffered a nervous exhaustion and isolation. And at one point, God told him, just go eat something and take a nap and you'll feel better. That was a different story. But in First Kings, he cries out to God, I had enough. Lord, take my life. Then there's, there's David, King David, who all over the Psalms suffers from unbearable heartache and painful depression. In Psalms chapter 6, he says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred with grief. Think about that. It's not just blurred from, from the crying and the anguish, but, but his vision to, to move forward to forge ahead, to take the next step, is blurred with grief. Then there's Jesus, our Lord Himself. Right in the garden before He is to be betrayed by one of His closest friends and then beaten and put to death, He cries out in pain to His friends. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Man, is it such a stretch to, to suggest that that even he, our Lord, battled with bouts of depression. After all, scripture, scriptures are very clear in telling us that he experienced every aspect of human life, good, bad, with the sole exception of sinfulness. His human experience was full, and it was real. Our Lord, sometimes painful. Which brings us to the number of Two lies, right? 
that we believe about mental illness and it's this. If I struggle with my mental health, then I don't have enough faith. Listen, life life is hard. Right? I mean, just just the amount of us standing up two weeks ago when, when we're going through these different issues, that just proves that. Life is hard. Sometimes when we, we pray for healing, God, God sends us to a doctor. Sometimes the, the people in our lives hurt us over and over again, and we have some trauma from that experience that sometimes uh, that things that are just out of our control, we need to talk to someone about that. Right? There's just, life is hard, so we got to do these things. Sometimes there's, there's a chemical imbalance in our body. Sometimes we, we need to get off our phones and just get outside, right? It's a, of our own doing. Sometimes we need some medicine. Right? I, I don't know where we, we got this lie that our faith is the only thing that can heal us from mental health. Right? When, when your leg is broken, you, you definitely pray about it, right? But you also go to a doctor. So, so why is mental health any different? Rick Warren, a, a famous pastor out in California, he was once called America's pastor. He, he wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. Several, uh, and then several years ago, he talks about his son who died from uh, suicide due to depression. And he and his wife have sort of made it kind of their, their life's work to educate Christians about mental health and how to cope. But one thing he says is this, it's not a sin to be Right? We're not less than because we have depression instead of cancer. Both of them need prayer, faith, and medical help. So, so now, now that we have those truths right, grounded within us, what do we do about it? Right? We're, 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 we replace the lies with some truth because, because here's what we've been, been learning in this series of sermons about the questions that we cry out to God. There's always answer to our cries in his word. So so yes, we yell out, why God? But yes, God does have the answer. Right? He is the answer. Right, so today I just want to take a, a crazy a look at a crazy story real quick in the book of Luke that will give us just two very quick and practical things to do when we're struggling with mental health. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. Right? And I, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And listen, you can take those Bibles with you. Those Bibles are free for you to have, to use, to take, to give away. Uh, Luke chapter 8, I'm not going to put this one up on the screen. I'm going to want us to read it together. Um, and I want you to turn to it in your Bible or on your phone. Take God's Word and not my Word, right? Don't just trust me. Read it for yourself. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, let me just give a little bit of, of context. Let me serve up just a little bit of uh, context here. All right, Jesus and his disciples, his followers and friends, they're living in a place called Galilee. All right, we've heard of that. And it's at the northern edge of a very, very big lake. It's like at the northern edge of one of the great lakes. Right? I'm from Michigan. I grew up on Lake Superior. It's like on a big lake, maybe not as big as Lake Superior, but it's on the northern edge of a very big lake. Apparently, Jesus had some important business to do down on the southern side of this lake. He had some business to take care of because there was no good way or a highway or a skyway for him to fly, whatever, 
So he, he boards a boat. He boards, boards a ferry. Right? So Jesus' biographer, Luke, he picked up this story in chapter 8 of this book at verse 26. Let's just read it together. It says, Then they sailed to the country of today, which is opposite of Galilee. I just want you to keep your finger right there real quick. And I want to stop right there, and I want us to get the full picture. Right? Because to really appreciate what happens next in this story, it helps to know the whole picture of this zone that is taking place in, in, this, in this scripture. Right? At the southern tip of the lake where Jesus is heading to, it's a pretty remarkable place. Right? It took its name from the city of Geressa. Right, one of the, the principal towns there, but the region was more frequently called the Decapolis. That's the Greek word for the ten cities. This region was actually a whole network of towns and cities which had been planted there by, by the Greek Empire shortly after the time of Alexander the Great. Right, so in other words, even though this was located in the midst of the very heartland of Palestine, this region had much more in common with the the great Greek and Roman cities of the day than the rural country that was around it. Right? During the, the first century, this region was flourishing with businesses and, and domestic life and trade. The, the towns of the Stecopolis were filled with, with people who were better educated. They were more affluent and, and more upwardly mobile than the average Palestinian or Jew of that time period. Now, if you ask me, it's a lot like Northern Virginia in comparison to the rest of rural Virginia. Does that make sense? Right? You, you got like Alexandria and Fairfax and Springfield and Reston and, and Tyson's, right? You got all these little areas that make up a bigger area, but the whole area itself was kind of on this upward trajectory. People who were highly educated lived there. They were hard workers. They were they were making businesses and entrepreneuring different different trades. It was a bustling area. There was just one small issue, right? Let's let's read and find out. Verses twenty seven through verse thirty three of Luke chapter eight. Says when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bounds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they begged him not to commend, command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake. And all right, on a side note, wouldn't it be funny if one of those pigs just like disappeared for a while? 
and then they came back and <laughs> Just a side note, right? It'd be funny, right? Now, before I take one step further, I want to just kind of zone back out here, and I want to address the elephant in the room, not just one big elephant, right? I'm wondering where all these buddies are. Right? Some of you are looking at me, and you're thinking, oh, man, here it comes. Right? We're, we're talking about mental health and, and depression and anxiety. And this, this, this mental health is demon talk from uh, an uneducated pastor, right? Now, I'm not in the habit of looking for pitchfork devils, except perhaps at Halloween, and if you just give them candy, they usually disappear. But at the same time, right, I, I have come to believe that when the Bible speaks of demons, it is not superstition, it's not ignorance, it's not kidding. So here's the truth, church, demons, they are real, and they do horrible things, because the warfare is real. Right? You just go on a... Uh, you know, I've traveled a lot overseas in, in third world countries. You see a little bit more prevalence there, right? They work within in people and manifest themselves as debilitating mental health issues, definitely, yes. But is that always where our mental health struggles come from? No, right? So please hear me. There are a million and one reasons that we struggle with mental health, genetics, circumstances, hormone and chemical imbalances, Poor diet, poor health, the list can go on and on. And one reason can also be the work of the enemy, yes. And left unexamined, unchecked, and unprepared for, all of those forces will conjoin to progressively destroy the mental health of a whole lot of individuals, families, and communities. All right, so, everyone tracking? All right, does that make sense? Right, I don't want anyone walking out of here and saying that my, my pastor told me that I have a demon. Stop it, right? Knock it off, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is, in this specific instance, in Scripture, there was a man who struggled with mental health caused by demons. But I also showed you several other places in Scripture that, sh that people struggled with mental health who did not have a demon. Right? Mental health struggles are usually caused by a combination of things. And in this specific story, I believe we can find some practical things to address all of those causes. Right, so, so back to our story. The first thing that we see in this story is the man falling at the feet of Jesus. This man full of pain, separated from his family for who knows how long, literally laid there before his community sees Jesus. And he immediately he goes to him, despite the cries of the demons inside of him. And this man knew he couldn't get better from, from the back row or by continuing to wander around by himself in the tombs. On the contrary, he cried out and he fell at the feet of the man who could help him. That's what he did. Right? He, he fell at the feet of the man he knew who could help him. The first thing that we must do when we are experiencing feelings of depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever it is, is this. Let's get help. Right? Deal with it. Right? Not just, just deal with it. Deal with it. To get help. I think far too many of us are hiding from our pain and from other people just hoping it will go away. We're like white-knuckling it through life. Right? Just holding on with fear life. When Jesus says, ask for help. Yes, go to God. Pray. But also go to the people that God has gifted with the ability to help you. Go see a doctor. Go see a therapist. Get help. Now, 
real quick, I want to talk to the men here for a second. Statistically speaking, we experience mental health struggles as pretty similar rate as women do, but men are almost four times more likely to die by suicide than women. And there are a lot of things that go into this statistic, but I think one of the biggest and probably the most active in our lives is our pride, our ego. Right, so men, please hear me when I say this. Right, getting help, getting help does not mean you are weak. It means that you are. It means you're smart. You're you're making a move. You're making a play. You're taking action. Right. Imagine this man in this story walking around naked and living in a graveyard. Was saying, man, I got this. All right, I'm a I'm a tough guy. I played football in high school. I'm good. Right. Imagine if that's what he was saying. Right. He's saying, I can fix it. We would think that was pretty stupid if that's what Jesus said. Some of us are walking around in our own graveyard, practically digging our own grave, and we won't ask for help. Be the man that God has called you to be and get help. Right? That's, what, that's what a wise man of God does when they forge ahead. Now, the next thing that we see in our story is that before Jesus could cast the destructive spirit out, of the afflicted man, or before he does, not before he can, but before he does, his, he first names them. Jesus says, what is your name? And they replied, Legion, he replied, because many demons have gone into him. Jesus had to name it before he, he would remove it. And we have to do the same thing. Right? we got to name it. we got to name it. The man in our story went to the, the expert, Jesus, and named exactly what was wrong with him. A legion of demons had taken over his life. And we're no different. We need to go to the expert and name exactly what is wrong with us. Right? I, I tease my mom all the time. She's traveling. Christina's traveling right now, so I'm talking about them. <laughs> um, I tease my mom all the time because uh, uh, I take her to the doctor, and we get home from the doctor, and what does she do? Forgets her cane, man. If I had stopped in buying canes, I'd be a wealthy man. All right, no, forgets her cane. Um, no, she uh, she threw me off there. She uh, she starts googling, right? She webmds everything, right? That's the, the worst thing possible that she can do. She starts googling, and she starts she starts talking to her friends on Facebook about about what they are going through and, and how, how that's probably what she has. But it's just, it's crazy, right? right? What is the point of getting help? I mean, we do the same thing that my mom does, right? We do that, we do that with, you know, we distract ourselves, right? You know, I, I, like I said, I, I think spiritual warfare is very much real. And, but it kind of manifests itself a little different. Maybe in America, you just have to read, I'm sorry, take Take uh, the screw tape letters. It's a great book that talks about how, you know, we don't necessarily need big old scary demons. We just got to have TikTok, right? Or, or phone. This is from C.S. Lewis from the 40s. Right? It's the same thing, right? We, we, we distract ourselves and we, take, we try to take things into our own hands, right? In all likelihood, life has gotten, gotten the way it is for you and for me because there are several destructive habits mentalities or physical ailments and spiritual problems that have a hold on us and are putting chains on us. Right? The, the particular force that oppresses you 
may be different from the one that messes with me or with someone else. But if we can identify them, not just on our own, with WebMD, right, of our lives, whatever that is, but if we can do it together and identify them, we can pass these things out. We can get help. We can deal with it. Right? We must name what is going on with us. And the final thing we see is the casting out of the demons of Jesus. Or what we can do or call our final practical step is this. Right? And that's doing whatever it takes to actually deal with it. <laughs> I mean, look, look, it is clear that the demons wanted to be left alone, but Jesus sent them packing anyway. And it may feel the same way for, for a way for us. It may feel like our depression does not want to leave. Our anxiety is always going to be there. Our anxiety is always going to get the best of us. But we need to do whatever it takes to deal with it. That's forging ahead. That's living the abundant life. That's doing the hard thing. The right thing. Stepping into the path that God has for us. Right? We need to take the medicine. We need to talk to the therapist. And yes, we need to be praying and holding fast to the truth of Scripture. You know, as a as I call the band back up here today, I, I want to end with an illustration that I heard from my dad, but I think it will really help us as we take the next step in dealing with our mental health. And it's a uh, preacher story, an old preacher story. Uh, and it goes like this. There once was a man who was stuck on a rooftop, and, and there was a flood all around him. So he's up on the roof, he's stuck, and he started praying to God for help. He says, God, help me, save me, save me. I have faith in you. And so soon, a, a man in a rowboat comes rowing by, and he says, hey, hey, jump in. I, 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 you can, I'll save you. And the, and the man on the roof, he, he yells back. He says, no, I'm good. I, I'm praying to God. God's going to save me. I have faith. So, so the, robot, or the, robot, the rowboat went on. And then a, a motorboat comes zooming by and says, hey, man, jump in. I'll save you. And the guy up on the roof again says, hey, I'm good. I've been praying to God. I have faith. God's going to save me. And so the motorboat zooms on down the flood, right? Then all of a sudden, a helicopter comes by, and the pilot leans out, and he shouts, grab this rope, and I'll fly you out to safety. And the stranded man on the roof again says, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Now, soon after, the, the water rose all the way up, covered the roof, and the man drowned, and he gets to heaven, and he, he, he's, he sees God, and he says, God, I had faith. Why didn't you save me? Why did you let me drown? I don't understand. And to this, God replied, I sent you a rowboat, right? I sent you a motorboat, and I sent you a helicopter. What more do you want? the most fun topic. I want, to, I want to talk about mental health, depression, anxiety, internal struggle. Who wants to talk about the times where we're in, in the depths of our heart even, or just in the, in the lateness of night when we're by ourselves and we, we're crying out to God, why God? Do I feel this way? I want to talk about that on a sunny Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend. Listen, Foundry Church. 
the God that we're forging our life on, our God, he's saying, I don't want you to feel this way. I don't want you to feel this way. That's not the abundant life I have come to give you. Yeah, life's going to be hard, but listen, don't let these things beat you. I'm your God. I'm your Lord. I'm your Savior. I'm bigger than all of this. God is saying, I don't want you to feel this way. He's saying, I've sent my word so that you know that you're, you're not this way because of your lack of faith. He's saying, I've sent my son so that you may have hope in his grace and his truth. And he's saying, I, I've sent science so that you have access to great medicine and, and therapy and counseling. So you can learn methods to get through. And he's saying, I've sent my church so you know that you're not alone in this, that you have brothers and sisters standing with you shoulder to shoulder as you kick this in the teeth for your head. He's saying, for my glory, the purpose I've created you, you're not alone. Listen, so what we're going to do is we're going to thank him. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand and as these guys are, are playing here for a few minutes, I'm going to invite you, if you call Jesus your Lord, if he is your Heavenly Father, to come up and take communion. We do this each and every week. And listen, it's not something we just do because it's fun or because we want a snack before we leave. We do it because we can step into, listen guys, we can step into what the Lord has for us because of what communion represents. Right? It represents his son, who he sent into this world, not to condemn us, not to beat us down, not to say, hey, you're dealing with these struggles, you're dealing with this stuff, this, this stuff all around you, this chaos. He's saying, no, I'm going to send my son. Right? It's not the absence of that chaos, it's the presence of my son who's going to bring about peace and grace and truth. And so when you take communion, like it says in Scripture, right, where Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do it in remembrance of a Savior who came for us. And then we, we dip it into the juice and we read that the same way Jesus took that cup of wine and poured it out, gave it to his disciples. He said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant which I give to you. Right? A, a new birth, a new life, a new way of living, not defined by our mental health and anxiety, but defined by a Savior who says, I hear you, I feel you, I've been there, others in my church have been there, and we're going to get through this, we're going to keep teeth in on it, just like I kicked your teeth in on that. You're going to come out of that, that grave. I've always so I invite you come for you work out to the sides take a piece of the bread dip it into the juice take communion and go back to your seat stay standing as we thank our God who cares for us to say